When Sky Hapinko was a kid, he, his mom, his grandma, and his two brothers would pile into a car and set off. I feel like I've, I grew up in a car, you know? Driving from Palo to Palo, or even just like my grandma would always love to just travel around. Back when he was young, Sky's mom was a powwow dancer, and his family would spend weekends driving around the West Coast, headed to powwows. There, they could connect with friends, family, other members of the Native American community, and they'd dance and sing and tell stories. And there were certain spots, certain powwows and campsites they'd return to over and over again. I have a lot of memories of, I don't know, just like making a little fort in the back of the, the conversion van with like the bed put down, you know, and just like that was my little... Yeah area and looking at the back window watching the cars behind us listening to because like my mom would also like record power music like with the tape recorder go like you know record drums as they're performing songs to learn them and so they would listen to a lot of these recordings just as a sort of like studying the songs you know the power itself like i mean i could remember you know dancing and dances and watching that but it's always those moments that are sort of on the outskirts of the spectacle that stand out like, I mean, I think very often, too, just the memories of, you know, getting up in the morning and kind of like running around as a kid, but, you know, my grandma would have coffee made and have an ch- extra chair set out so people could come by and visit. And just people visiting and talking and laughing, you know, and telling stories and sitting around and listening to those stories. And same thing at the end of the night, too. It's like, you know, Saturday night, around midnight, all the spectators have gone home and it's just the dancers. They're still dancing, but also... You know, kids are running around playing on the bleachers or, you know, just chasing each other. And it was just, it was just, it was a place full of life. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're venturing into the mind of Sky Havinka. He is a filmmaker, teacher, MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, and a member of the Ho-Chunk Nation of Wisconsin. We will explore Sky's work, his past, and what he is still searching for out there on the road. More after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself. You might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. (laughs) 
Sky's films are these kind of beautiful collages. He combines video with layers of archival sound and text, these ethereal images of landscapes, of roadways and open skies. They manage to feel both kind of informal, like off the cuff, and highly composed, sort of traversing across these indigenous histories and Sky's contemporary experiences. And they've screened all over the world at places like the Sundance Film Festival, MoMA, the Tate Modern. But before he was this internationally renowned artist, Sky was a kid growing up in the Pacific Northwest, in Washington State, where his parents were both performers on the powwow circuit. His mom was a dancer and his dad a drummer. Can you tell me a little bit about your parents? Yeah, I mean, I grew up with my mom and my grandma and my brother and little brother, you know, most of my life. My mom married again when I was about 10 years old, and that was pretty much our family unit for most of, like, my my adolescence. And my dad, I wasn't really too close to him. I mean, he'd pop in every now and then, but um, that relationship was a pretty significant, I don't know, way of me thinking about myself, about where I'm living, about my tribe, my tribal identity, and also just, like, the absence of some of those things. For Sky and his siblings, the powwows were something they did on the weekends during the summer. The small ones might only have 20 or 25 dancers. The big ones could have hundreds. And they were held everywhere, from gymnasiums to farms to proper powwow grounds. What is a powwow for? I mean, that's like an interesting question because there's just a lot of history in their developments and the origins of these different dances. I mean, the for the most part, it comes from like the plains and the woodlands. And it was, they're based on some traditional dances, but they were a way to draw tourists to the reservations once the reservations were implemented in the mid to late 1800s. I mean, as because like there wasn't a lot of economy there, there was, they're pretty deprived of many different things when it came to like an economy or, or sufficiency. And so powers became a way to draw tourists in. Um, and I still think they function in that same sort of way too, but they also are, are a way to be native, you know, like when it's so hard to be that in like the everyday world, the outside world. And so that's so what I mean by just like, you know, you have these dancers that are dancing for themselves, for their family, for, you know, for some prize money or something or something to help them get onto the next powwow. And then on the outside you have like these spectators are often white looking in and, you know, enjoying the powwow might come for a Saturday afternoon or an evening. Um, and then like the vendors that are selling goods, selling beadwork, selling um, just like different things that they're making, jewelry, whatever it is. And so it's just, you have these different sort of like dynamics that are at play where it becomes something like a small village, but it also becomes something like, um, uh, I don't know, uh, an, an economy that that is one about the perpetuation of culture, but also some sort of cultural sustainability and viability. How is your filmmaking and your relationship with these questions about sort of your own identity, your personal family history, how has that, uh, that changed over time? How has making the work kind of like altered that? I mean, what I thought about being a Native person when I was seven, eight, nine years old is different than what I think it is now. And I have a different relationship to that now, definitely. And... Part of that journey is understanding how others define me based on how I look, based on where I'm from, and how then do I reconcile that with how I identify myself and my identity and my family and my tribes. You know, I didn't grow up on a reservation. I grew up near one. 
I didn't have long hair growing up. Um, I didn't grow up speaking my language. And so like all these different sort of things like become check marks about who you are and who you're not. And it really isn't a spectrum. Like I said, it's just like an expanse of different experiences and there's no one way to quantify or qualify that other than the individual expressions and assertions of that identity. And I feel like I've gotten a lot more confident in expressing that with film. Both powwows and looking at the world through a camera lens have been part of Sky's life since he was little. He started messing around with his family's camcorder when he was just a kid and started organizing his own powwows when he was just 24 or 25. He decided to move to Wisconsin, his tribe's ancestral homeland. And during his later 20s, he also started to explore filmmaking more seriously. And he went to grad school to study it. Once I found a way that I make films, then that really provided me a framework for understanding, like, right, this is just how I do it. You know, I found the way that works for me. And I found the way that makes sense for like my brain and the way that I look at the world. And that's an expression of my identity as well. And I think that that's an important part for, I think, any indigenous filmmaker to make, or any filmmaker for that matter, to make work that is reflective of their experiences and to try to connect with people in uh, ways big and small. Charges recording. April 16th. 2007, 2.45 p.m. One of Sky Hapinka's films opens on a static gray screen. A tape recording plays, and you can hear his dad talking. There's a football game playing in the background, and as Sky's dad starts describing the beat of the drum music at a powwow, the gray screen disappears and is replaced by this really breathtaking view of an open road winding across a plain snow-capped mountains on the horizon. The camera moves as Sky carries us from scene to scene, a windswept bluff overlooking the ocean, red brake lights on a highway. They almost remind me a little bit of like skate videos in a way. Like obviously there's no skateboarding, but but the kind of like collage aspect and the sort of just playing around with stuff and like different textures of different film. Like That's an interesting point. I mean, I mean, I was more like BMX videos when I was a teenager, but yeah. it's like the same sort of <laughs> format or just like this montage, you know? And maybe that did rub off on me. Huh. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a while. In a film of his from 2015 called Jaji Eprox, centers around these multiple layers. It's about his relationship with his dad, his heritage, the music of the powwow, and the landscapes he grew up in. 9 p.m. I see you standing there all alone, Can you tell me what, what does the title mean? Uh, Jaji is the Ho-Chunk word for father. So just like, yes, yeah, my Jaji approximately, just like these different approximations for this person. Um, it's it's the it's also the the form the conjugated form of how you address him directly or a father directly. It would be different about if I was talking about him or separately to him. My Jaji's recordings, Leiway uh, song, December thirteenth, two thousand and five. There's a nice moment in Jaji Aprox where where I think it's your your dad talking about this idea that like you get on the road and you hear the powwow. Just leaving the powwow and you're cruising. You're driving the noise, the wheel, the sound of the road. Like you hear the song like in the rhythm of the road and you kind of play around with it like in the blinker. Maybe you could describe that film a little bit for someone who's never 
never seen it. I first started thinking about it when I took a road trip from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I was living at the time, and also where our traditional homelands are, where, where my dad's tribe is from, my tribe is from. And I drove to Washington to see my family for the holidays, and then from there down to Southern California, Los Angeles. And I was shooting a lot of video while I was driving. I love Oregon and Washington in the winter. I know a lot of people don't, but there's just something about the gray clouds, the sort of like muted grains, and like the brown red earth and like the gray ocean that I just think is so beautiful and it offers so much depth into like how you can understand and look at the landscape. And so I just found myself shooting while driving a lot in a safe way and <laughs> um, really just like gathering footage. And I'd also gotten into the habit of trying to record my dad whenever I'd see him. Like we'd see each other a few times a year maybe, but. I just wanted to, you know, give him a little hand recorder and say, like, hey, Dad, can you sing me some songs? Can you, um, some songs that you've made, songs that you've learned, you know, any recollections that you have about your life? Because at that point, we were starting to, I don't know, repair some of our relationship. And it's just like, there's a big part of his life that I was aware of by being present in it, but also not being active in it. And I don't know, it's complicated, <laughs> but... Um, so I had these recordings of him and I just would drive and listen to them and sing them and learn them, uh, learn these songs. And when I got back to Milwaukee, it really was, uh, it just started to come together just thinking about these landscapes, but landscapes that my dad was driving through maybe when he was my age, you know, or 20, 30 years ago, however long ago. And that being a sort of connection between me and him with these songs as I was singing these songs. And thinking about these recordings as an approximation for a relationship. I feel closer to these recordings than I do to the man itself sometimes. I feel closer to this landscape than I do to him. And so how then do you have these approximations for a relationship? Did you show your dad the film? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything? Yeah, was that complicated? Is there anything you wanted? How did that go? <laughs> um, well, I remember showing it to him. Um, I went to his, his apartment and put it on a laptop and he just sat there watching it and then, Afterward, he's like, said, huh, that's good. And it's like, thanks, Dad, you know? But just like I could tell, like it was just, he's not very emotive, but I knew that it meant a lot. And I was talking to his partner afterwards, and she was like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's really proud of you. So just like, that's kind of like par for the course in some regards for a relationship, but also just, it's also like an assertion, you know? It's like, Dad, I made this about you and, and me in some ways. And, uh, the fact that he watched it and I know that he, he he enjoyed it was was important. Yeah. Must have been, was it an emotional project? Obviously, there's like this almost like homecoming, like loop to it, right? I mean, was it an emotional piece to work on? It really wasn't. Um, hmm. But I showed it to my mom when I, I think was pretty close to being done with it and just wanted to show what I've been working on. And I know her relationship with my dad was complicated and fraught. Um, but when she saw it, she said, this is a really sad film. And I hadn't heard that before. No one had told me that before or had, had that sort of read on it, but I was just thinking about it and like talked to her and she's just like, yeah, I mean, like so much of this longing is the same longing that you expressed when you were a kid growing up, you know, like the sort of like missing him and trying to find ways to connect with him. And so when she saw it, when she said that, it just like hit me like a ton of bricks and it's like, right, yeah, I mean, this is this is me doing the same things as I, I was doing as a kid. But when I was making it, I was just thinking about, you know, how to be in communication with this person. Like the abstractions in the piece are my, are my way of trying to sing along with him. You know, like this is the thing that he's good at. And this is the thing that I want to be good at. He's making these films. And so it became a sort of like desire for communication. Uh -huh. 
Chunk song one instead with a crossfade into my accompaniment. Mono yo yo no jugi jowine Mono yo yo no jugi jowine Mono yo yo no jugi jowine Is there something that you hope your larger family and your tribe takes from your films? Like obviously they're for many audiences, but with that audience in mind, is there something that you want to communicate or how do you think about that? I think my initial purpose for getting into film was to make the films that I wanted to see about the things that I wanted to see regarding Native peoples. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's something about certain narratives and contemporary Native cinema that I just didn't resonate didn't resonate with me. Because a lot of it has to do with trauma and uh, historical trauma and historical representations of who we are and erasure and countering those narratives. And it's just like, that's very important to make that work and have an audience that isn't familiar with these histories to see that work. But in some ways, it's also triggering, you know? Like, I mean, Mm. I don't want to constantly live in that space in the media that I see. And rather than looking at, you know, like uh, this sort of spectrum of history, I'm interested in more of like an indigenous expanse of experiences and seeing what what else is out there, you know? Like, what are questions that I have about mythology, about homeland, about language, that I can use this medium to try and ask. And I think that that's an important part for, I think, any indigenous filmmaker to make, or any filmmaker for that matter, to make work that is reflective of their experiences and to try to connect with people in uh, ways big and small. Thank you so much to Sky Hapinka for taking the time to share his work with us. If you want to watch Sky's film, Jaji Aprox, uh, or check out his other work, there is a link in the show notes. It's, it's really worth watching. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Sarah Wyman. It was edited by Tracy Samuelson. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Devin DeComo, Chica Okoye, Gianna Palmer, John Delore, Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris. Wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Doors take us to summers away. Or winter adventures. And afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. 
The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. 